Welcome to the Jeff and Alex podcast. I am Jeff Hillemeyer, and with my friend, Alex Gonzalez, we explore topics that help you be your best self. And we also get to chat with some great guests. So join us now on the Jeff and Alex podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jeff and Alex podcast. I'm here with Jeff Hillemeyer once again. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm, I'm good. I'm excited for this one. This is really good, and we're going to be bringing uh, Kate Atwood here into the um, very massive multi-million dollar Jeff and Alex podcast studio. <laughs> um, so I'm excited about that. So Jeff, how did you get to know Kate? Because she knows so many people here, particularly in our hometown here of Atlanta, but how did you get to know her? You know, um, I can't remember exactly how we first got connected. It, it might have been someone like Ann Kramer. Mm-hmm. Um probably so, or Ken Bernhardt, but I've known her for a long time and um, she's connected me to people as I know she has to you, but I've just always loved um, following her journey and her spirit and her energy. Um, and so um, she, she's been, you know, one of those Atlanta inspirations for me. How about yeah, you? I, yeah, no, I, I crossed paths with her with, at the Metro Atlanta Chamber and, and probably even a little bit before that as well, too. But it's, you know, I, I got to know her during the kind of growth and the building of this Choose ATL brand, which is kind of this, you know, brand really targeting, you know, younger talent and 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 got to know her as this kind of curator, right? So there's this element of her being kind of a community builder, but also there's this this incredible creative edge that I, I, or cure, you know, you and I talked a little bit about kind of that creative, that creative That's force. Right. I see her in that kind of curator disruptor category, um, especially curator and her ability to bring, you know, um, you know, I remember being in Austin, Texas at a South by Southwest event that choose ATL was having and, 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 and having everybody from a major political figure to a CEO of a company to ludicrous you know, the same room at the same place. It all made sense. So that's kind of my perspective yeah. as meeting Kate as being an incredible curator. So, so yeah, so we're going to bring her on board, have a great conversation. So let's uh, roll it here with uh, Kate Atwood. All right, Kate Atwood, how are you doing? Welcome to the I, Jeff I, and Alex podcast. I'm so good. Even better now that I'm connecting with you guys. This is so exciting. It is great. To, it's great to see. It is funny during as we do this and just in general with the Zoom calls, but especially during this podcast, when we see somebody and it's almost like <gasps> the excitement level goes up. It's like human interaction, even though it's still through video. And then you wish that you could be around a table, but the time will come. It's great to see you. I know. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's been interesting because I intentionally took some time to kind of you know, after I left my last position at the Chamber of Commerce with with you, Alex, I took some time to kind of go back in my shell and be quiet. And I was just about ready to come back out. And then it was like, nope, you're going back in. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, there you go. So I feel like I haven't seen a lot of people for a long time. It's kind of crazy. But yeah, it is crazy. So I, I, obviously, we've been friends for a long time. And I've been excited to, to have you on this. I was I was thinking about like, I don't even know how to describe what you do because I, <laughs> I feel like there's 10 directions I could go like, oh yeah, Kate, she's founder of this thing or leader in this area or so how do you describe when someone says, what do you do? You know, the classic question. Yeah, well, you know, and I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about that because I do think that my career path has been very non-traditional. Sometimes I describe it as, you know, I did it backwards. So I, I start with my legacy piece, which 
I think like anything has its, you know, its, its pros and, and its cons. And I say that because, you know, to, to start with your legacy piece, to start with some, you start your career with something that was so personal as I did with Kate's Club. Kate's Club, for people who don't know, is a nonprofit organization that serves uh, and empowers youth who are bereaved. So kids around the metro Atlanta area who have lost a parent or a sibling come to Kate's Club for support and community and fellowship. Um, and I started that Gosh, I think 18 years ago, we're about to be 18 years old, which I know I look 18. So no, I was not five. Just kidding. But um, no, but I, I was 22. I was 23. And, uh, you know, back then starting a nonprofit was not like it is today, right? There was kind of the United Way, the girls, there was very, the, the you know, the established nonprofits existed, but there wasn't crowdfunding. There wasn't this movement quite yet. It happened a little bit after that. So it was a little bit odd for, for a 22, 23-year-old to be starting a nonprofit organization. And I can share a little bit more about why that happened and how that happened. But um, for me, coming out of that was the moment that I had to ask, like, what what do I want to do? Because I knew I didn't want to do bereavement for my entire career. That was a very personal decision and mission. And I knew I now had the opportunity to witness my legacy for the duration, you know, of my career, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, But I did have to wrestle a lot with like, what am I good at? What do I like to do? What's my purpose? Um, Even after Kate's Club. But where I sit with you guys today is to say, I think with conviction, that through line is, is, is a community builder. The through line is that I, I, like, I, I have to have a mission that is, um, has the North Star of belonging, bringing people together and connection. And um, that's very, you know, that's grand. There's, you know, I, I think that I'm not alone in that. I think my vehicles have been very curious <laughs> and, um, you know, I've been in every sector. I kind of say now I've, I've been in the nonprofit sector. I, you know, I did the Arby's foundation and was in what you could call the private sector. And then I of course did choose ATL at the Metro Atlanta chamber and that was the civic sector. So, um, it makes sense to me and it's been wildly fun. Um, but it's been very nice. Yeah, I mean, part of it's almost like you're, you know, thinking about kind of the the media and celebrity world being a multi hyphenate, right? You know, it's like you know, producer, I'm an actor. You're kind of involved in all these different aspects of it. Do do you get? Um, um, which, by the way, you know, I could kind of connect with. But do you get yeah. um, impatient in in, in role? Um, it, do you find, or do you find a time in certain roles that you've said, "Hey, I think I fulfilled my purpose, and so now I need to find another platform." Like, yeah. What do you think of where you are in that moment and when it's right for you? Well, I think one of the things that I've been able to realize, you know, in terms of if I, you know, outgrow or when I decide to kind of move on from a project is that I've had the, you know, now the experience to learn that I know the the time and the stage of a company or an initiative that I am Will I'm best at that? I'm most efficient. I'm most effective as a leader, as a producer. Uh, you know, I love. I think the interesting thing about me is I I love vision casting and I love being a leader, but I also love doing the work. And 
the year zero to five is when you get to do that. And, and some people may say that's crazy, you know, like, and I do, I work really hard, but I, I have such a passion for every project that I do that it's very important for me to be able to do both. Um, and of course that means build a team and, 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 and find, you know, the chemistry of that team. And, and I, and I love that work. It's all, you know, again, it's the through line of belonging, um, but I think in every case that I've built something, I have instinctually known when maybe the management gets a little bit more than the, the ability to do the work or the strategy I'm kind of getting, you know, I'm like wanting to go at this pace and, you know, there's, there's more people than I can, you know, really do the work at that pace. And then it's not about me. Right. So that all comes into the mix in, in how I decide, um, what to do and, and, and how long to do it. But I've been so fortunate. I mean, I've had some of the most exciting, awesome <laughs> things. I mean, that is just like, that's the universe. That's just bigger than me. Um, but every single project I've had has been so different um, and a, a new challenge, which brings in new curiosity. Um, and I probably say it wasn't until Choose ATL that I really was able to say, oh yeah, I, I kind of do some things the same. <laughs> Like there is, there is a rhythm here there, you know, there is a a method to the madness, if you will. Um, But that's what I would say is it's, it's about the early years for me. And I I love building in those early years. And just jumping in real quick, sorry, Jeff. Yeah. I think that that is such an important kind of uh, perspective to have on self. And I always talk to, you know, and we spend a lot of time talking to change leaders all the time, mm-hmm. whether it's entrepreneurial change leaders, that when's the right time to let someone else run the company, or I think in corporate a lot where, you know, when do you know it's time that it's it's okay to take those skill sets to something else and new and change and drive impact and be, and be fresh. And then I think mm-hmm. as leaders, how do you hire people at the right time to do that thing? So I think uh, you're your perspective will be great advice for some folks uh, in, in their career in terms of when to know and how do I fit in in that kind of change journey. Yeah. And I think our instinct is stronger than than we allow it to be, especially in our work life. And I get it. You know, I mean, there is security. There's things that are that make it dynamic. But I have always been really grateful for my instinct. And I think that is part of my resilience from my childhood. But I I think, and, and I understand the challenges of making career decisions around instinct when you have dependence and you have other dynamics right. that, you know, may make it a little bit scarier or, you know, you, you don't have the opportunity to take as much risk. But I, I, I do always encourage people to, um, you know, especially if you're early in your career, when you can take more risk, like really get to know that instinct, like get to know when the you're spending more time at the job trying to like the job than, you know, than, and and trying to make it fit for you, you know, work for you than really being honest and saying, maybe my mission's complete here, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. There, there is, uh, there's nothing wrong with, you know, being a part of something and then knowing that your contribution to that, your value to that, um, you know, has, has, Mm-hmm. been completed and that's a beautiful thing yeah now i'm curious about the vehicles you know you mentioned that mm-hmm. um you know it's there's a through line of community and belonging but the vehicles change it does seem like you may be coalescing around a couple of different vehicles or platforms or foundations for that can you talk about 
that and maybe what you're doing now? Sure. Uh, yeah. So like I said, my, I have been fat. Let me just take a step back. Cause I, I have become fascinated by, um, Maslow's hierarchy. So, you know, my desire to leave the world a better place, um, you know, really comes from both a, a perspective of things that we can control and improve. And then in my case, things that happen in your life that you have no control over. So if you know a big part of my story, you know, that when I, I had, you know, loss when I was very young, I lost my mother at the age of 12, which I now know is one of the most critical developmental ages for young girls. And then to have maternal loss at that time, um, you know, there were a lot of odds stacked against me, even though I had a roof over my head, you know, I was able to go to, 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 you know, school. Um, so that sense of belonging, I became fascinated by it very early on. And I was really a student of it, I think, before I realized I was. And what I've come to learn about the, you know, American society as it relates to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So you guys familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? It's like the most revered kind of psychological hierarchy. And uh, let me just geek out on this for a second and then I'll get back to the question. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there is a middle tier. So the first layer of of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is is just our physical needs, water, food, shelter. The second tier is our physiological needs. So security of, of uh, a job, security of housing, security of healthcare. Um, and then that middle one, which is where it really starts to get into to psychological needs, is love amongst others. And why I'm so fascinated by that middle, that middle tier you know, and, and you can't get to, you can't even have a chance to get to unlock the next level of needs until that, that level is met, right? So, um, you know, if you're lucky to get to that physical, that, that psychological level of love amongst others, that's only when you can entertain and obtain self-esteem. And then of course, above self-esteem is self-actualization. But we have so many conversations in our society and our culture about self-esteem and self-actualization, ignoring that that belonging has to be met first, that you truly can't have self-esteem if you don't have the foundation of love amongst others. And, you know, our families have gotten smaller, our faith institutions have, you know, have, have kind of become smaller, if not dissipated fully. You know, we're in this digital era where anybody can be your, you know, you can be connected to anybody. And it's, it's always been interesting to me that as, you know, and I will say, I think it's probably Western cultures, but I'll speak as Americans, that we have given such little regard to that love amongst others. You know, we almost kind of like try to jingle board it, right? And say, let's just move it out of the way. Let's have self-help, $60 billion industry. Let's talk about purpose and self-actualization and finding your way. But we've forgotten that you have to do that first in relationship with others. And I had a moment when I learned that, when that smacked me in my face when I was 19 years old, and I went to volunteer at a camp, 
And I stood up and I shared my story of losing my mom for the first time. Hmm. And the transaction that happened to me in that moment at 19 years old, when I was speaking to 200 other kids who had lost a parent, was I thought I was going up there just to tell my story for me, but I understood the power of it in relationship with others. I understood that when a young girl came up to me and said, you're Kate, I lost my mom and my dad, and she shared her story, I was like, that's it. Hmm. That transaction right there is what life is all about. So across all these vehicles, I've wanted to bring people together who may not have understood that transaction, who may have been sitting across from somebody or doing work with somebody or had, you know, a, a, a community need down the street around the corner and they had no idea. And of course I did that with Kate's club. That was first, right? So I took my personal experience of not belonging in my grief and I made a, a, an organization where you belonged without a doubt. Every child should, should have support. No child should, should ever grieve alone. And they should have that support amongst peers. At the Arby's Foundation, it was really two things, internal and external. And I always try to kind of look at both. Internally, it was, of course, I was under the uh, you know, incredible leadership of Hala Matamog, who was turning around the entire brand. Right. And she gave me the career opportunity of a, a lifetime, really. This, is, this definitely changed the trajectory for me. She said, well, you know, she asked if, if we could come in, in, and um, relaunch the foundation. Now, little backstory, the Arby's Foundation wasn't a typical corporate foundation where it was, there was money allocated from the brand and you gave that money away, right? It was a self-sustaining nonprofit organization. I had to look at all stakeholder categories and raise money. And then with that money, we could give it away. So obviously the biggest stakeholder was the franchisee. So I had to get the franchisee to like each other, first of all, to like the brand and then to care about something that they just totally didn't even think existed. And I'm, I'm being honest. We had um, the strategy, and this was you know, done, of, of course, by consulting work. I was able to walk in with a, a strategy around ending childhood hunger. And at the time, childhood hunger was losing all noise to childhood obesity. Nobody thought, how could childhood hunger in America exist? Now we're much more... Uh, enlightened about it. So I had to get these franchisees to care about and, and to really believe that there were kids right in their neighborhood who weren't getting enough to eat. And I did that by making them come face to face with those kids and to have experience with those kids and to have that transaction happen where they could say, oh, this is what this is about, hmm. you know? And then also doing that with the, the customer um, and doing that in a way with the customer, it was a little bit harder because you couldn't bring the customer to the front line, but you relied on the storyteller, the franchisee and the employees to be able to tell that story. Of course, other, other marketing tactics, but you also wanted this, you know, I was very intentional about it. Not just, it, it was about the cause, but it was also about this, this uh, community of, of a brand that, you know, of course, I mean, Halo was really the, the driver of this, but I like to think we were really a supplemental force 
and it brought people closer to what we were doing as a business, mm-hmm. right? And it, it brought that element, that rally cry of like, yes, we can, you know, we can do this together. We can have a collective impact. And, and suddenly Arby's position to be a leader in the category of childhood hunger at the same time that childhood hunger was starting to really get traction as a very critical uh, crisis that was happening in, in our country. Um, so that was a really proud, a proud moment. Um, you know, everything I do when I say the vehicle, it's because I, I use the word vehicle cause it's like, I'm not in it alone. Like part of it, the journey is getting people in there with me. Right. And then I would say, you know, and then to, you know, go from that to, to having Atlanta, you know, and getting this opportunity to build something for this place that has given me so much and, and what did allow me to be somebody when I was 23 years old. Um, you know, it was the same sentiment. Um, Choose ATL, of course, was a platform that, you know, had, had, you know, was set up and I was asked to come in and help, you know, get it off the ground and launch it. Um, so there were all, there was already some stickiness and some foundation, but what I'm proud about at, at at with Choose ATL is again, it wasn't about me, you know, and and coming up with a slogan and you know trying to say okay, Atlantans, this is going to be our slogan, you know, like right. you can't you lose that way. It was about bringing people along with it and mm-hmm. saying if we're going to be able to market and attract millennial and workforce talent to Atlanta, it's going to come from the people that have already made the decision to call Atlanta home. Right. And that was, you know, kind of the fundamental vehicle there was like, have that transaction with somebody who already is, is calling this place home. It's already impacting. Of course that looked a ton of different ways and and it's more dynamic than that. But I would say it comes, it all comes down to the transaction of belonging and how powerful that is. Um, you know, and, and clearly can, can matter in every, in every sector of business um, is what I like to believe. It, it seems like with Choose ATL also, you um, started to lean more into video, digital storytelling, OTT. And so yeah. it does seem like that's also an area you're exploring. You yeah, know. moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's a good lead into kind of what's next. Um, so at, at Choose ATL, um, we, I, the team and I launched Thea, which was in essence, really the first city based streaming platform, right? So mm-hmm. streaming was exploding. Uh, you know, everybody kind of knew this was, you know, when everybody was starting to know about Netflix, but you know, we didn't really know what OTT was and streaming was. And because at the chamber, one of the most beautiful things about, about the chamber, and Alex, I know you know this, is you just ha- like you have the most fascinating conversations. There is no way to comprehend all of the cool stuff that's going on out in a metro area. But when you're you're at ground zero when you're at the right. chamber of commerce. And part of my, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, part of my my objective being there was really to get a lay of the land. I knew I wanted to move over to and launch. I mean, the thing that I still have to do is launch a for-profit adventure, (laughs) you know, like that's the only thing I got left. Like I said, I'm doing my career backwards. 
So that was, I went with an eye on, this is going to give me the light bulb, the, uh, the idea for, you know, my, my private, you know, venture. And, um, and so launching Thea, <clears throat> I was this, you know, streaming platform in which we were aggregating and sourcing content, Disruptor Studio. We had, you know, great docu-series. Um, we had short films. We had music videos. It was all about enabling the content creators around Atlanta to be the storytellers, right? Simple interface. But the original idea was that it would give me almost controls in, in, in a marketing tool, innovative marketing tool, to then push this content out to the West Coast and to the Northeast. Know about our tech. Know about our lifestyle and culture. Here's the, here's the, here's the interesting thing that happened. When we were doing focus groups with the colleges and university students around Atlanta, as we were getting feedback about the site and, you know, how should we, you know, push this out, they all kept coming back and saying, wait, <laughs> we want this for us. Right. You know, they wanted that, again, I'll go back to the word transaction. They wanted that transaction to, to be able to feel more connected to the place that they were already calling home. And so Thea was, was born out of, it, out of an idea of innovation for, for marketing and to get Atlanta's story out. I mean, how many times have we heard that? How are we going to tell our story? How are we going to tell our story? But it ended up for me being the genesis of a new passion point, which is we really have lost the value proposition of proximity when it comes to the, the consumption of our content. Hmm. And that, quite honestly, is impacting our communities economically, civically, socially, and it's impacting our quality of life as citizens of that community. And I have, you know, in, in the time that probably we have last talked, gotten very, very focused and passionate about that. And I think the past six months, you know, I've been trying to, you know, even with the, I was pushing this, you know, I felt like I was pushing this boulder up this hill. I was, I was passionate about media, media and storytelling is the vehicle. It is the pinnacle. When I talk about vehicles, it's the pinnacle of impact. Mm -hmm. So I do feel like it's kind of, you know, I feel like it's kind of meaningful that I would go after media next, right? Because I haven't mm -hmm. done it yet. And Media is, is fascinating in its good things and its bad things. But if I could influence media for good, and by media, I, 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 you know, I don't mean just journalism. I mean the, you know, the mechanics of the distribution of content and delivery of content. If I could impact that in the way that I've impacted these other vehicles, that, that would be like a really cool moment. <laughs> You know, now is in the, in the midst of massive innovation, massive. And transformation and inflection. I know from the time, you know, we, when we got to know each other, you know, we yeah. had many discussions about yeah. the, the one is, you know, what is it going to be? But that was almost the exciting part of you engaging this. It's like, you know, how can we help shape it? Because it is yep. just there to be shaped. So it sounds like that's really yeah. the step you're taking now. And I've had my head down this summer, but I, I felt like this was serendipitous in a way because I, I, both of you guys, I literally have a short list that I need to connect with you guys. So this will go beyond the, the podcast. But um, when, 
when COVID hit, hmm. and you know, I, I think to just you know thread again thread this story. I decided to leave the chamber. I wanted to figure out what I was going to build next. You know, the chamber, you know, moved Thea out. Go with that partnership. So, you know, a little story here. I I, I thought I would, that would be my, my path. Um, That partnership did not work out. And it was a decision that I made at the top of the year that I wanted to honor the original commitment to myself that I made when, you know, I decided to leave the chamber. And that was, I, it's very important for me to whatever I build next, have ownership and have creative control. And our visions, you know, you know, with Aru and and, and the vision was just different, right? And that happens all the time. So in in, in transparency and in the honesty of, of, of the journey, I, in February was like, maybe this isn't it, you know, like maybe I've tried, I've been really passionate about it, but maybe it's not it. And I was kind of grieving that chapter, finally really kind of grieving the cheese ATL chapter. And then I just, I, I couldn't put my head down at night without thinking we are, if not, you know, me, who, and if not now, when? And then COVID hit. And I was like, this is, this is why we need local. I mean, it's so quickly, unfortunately, exasperated, but also made clear the absence of local, right? The absence of local when it comes to communication and information, the absence of local when it comes to, um, you know, affinity and connection to retail and consumerism. Um, and by golly, can you imagine if, 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 if we had local fleshed out, if we had figured it out, how many restaurants could have popped up content and had a, re- had a lifeline to revenue, how many com- you know, entertainers, artists, you know, it, it, it the, the ability to have proximity when it comes to content consumption would have not only allowed for there to be some economic viability but it also would have made us feel more connected and, um, and I, quite honestly, I think safer, mm-hmm. um, you know? And so I just, I, you know, I, 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 in early March, I said, okay, well, no time better than now to rebuild. Right. So I've been six months in, um, I have two incredible co-founders uh, and we have a, a, a new platform. It hasn't launched yet. I don't know how much you want me to talk about it. Um, we've got, you know, we're fundraising. We've got a long way to go, <laughs> but I, I, you know, it's going to happen. And I think people, let me just say the pitch is a lot easier today than it was sure. even a year ago. You know, what, why, do you, um, why is that? Because I, I think it's two things. I think COVID has, uh, one, our footprint's smaller, right? I mean, our, our footprint shrank yeah. overnight. And it's, I think people now also realize that it's not going to open up. We're going to start being able to move around, but travel's going to be regional. We're going to, you know, we're, 
are we going to trust the venue when it does open up? You know, it's going to be a slow unfold. It's, it's, you know, it's consumer trust and safety, right? Like that's going to have to be a whole strategy. And honestly, I think a local medium would almost help that, right? It would help get that communication out. Um, I also think people are very concerned about the, um, the, the younger generations and, the trends that we are now seeing as the first generations to just grow up with social media. The millennials are the first generation not to have local, a local media or local content medium that worked for every other generation, broadcast TV, radio, newspaper has had that delivery form that's worked for them. And the millennials have just had, um, ha- just had social media. And I think the intent with social media was that it would be that, but I think now we know it's not that, right? It's not real connection. And so one, those college and university students, I can see them in the room, I can hear them in my ear. We've said local's dead, local's dead. Local is not dead. It just has not evolved. It has not been reinvented to be a medium that works for this digital native generation that says, we know you're on the screen more than any other generation that knows that we can meet you on the screen. We're not meeting you on the front porch with the newspaper. We're not meeting you in your car with your radio. And we're not meeting you at at, at a time when we decide we want to broadcast the news, right? We got to be on demand. We got to meet you where you're at when you want it, <laughs> right? right? And so um, the platform is called Loco Plus. So Local Content Plus um, will be that. It will be the first stream, video streaming platform that, uh, that has, carries localized content. Um, and I think that it is something that, that the, the millennials, I know that it's something that they want because I have the, the, you know, the focus groups and we're doing even more of those. Um, but it's also needed. It is so needed. I cannot emphasize enough. We're seeing trends. I mean, I'm not even just talking about like the divisiveness or the depression or the anxiety, right? Those are the dire outcomes. I'm talking about these nuanced outcomes that, you know, younger generations are, they're getting their driver's license less. They're dating less. They're getting in romantic relationships less. They're less likely to take risks. I mean, these may seem like very kind of, you know, nuanced icing on the cake um, things, but you have to watch those trends because those are clearly equivocal to their ability to connect and to have real connection. And so we talk a lot about, um, you know, the team just talks a lot about our journey is going to be from screen back to real life, Mm -hmm. right? So you're going to be watch of, you know, the Dogwood Festival and say, oh, gosh, you know what? Like, I want to go check that out and then literally be down there. Or you're going to be able to watch, you know, uh, a, a cooking show with, you know, a chef and then be able to make the reservation because you want to go try that restaurant out on, on, on Friday. That's what we're trying to nail. We're trying, which no, no other streaming platform or quite honestly, social media platform can do that in such a concentrated and valuable way. 
Yeah, and I think also so, you, you're talking about people are, you know, they're talking about safety or they're cooped up or whatever. I, I believe there's going to be this incredible experiential demand um, on the other side, whatever the other side of this is or looks like or the timeline. That's a whole different discussion. But I think there's going to be there's a pent up demand to connect mm-hmm. to experience. So it's interesting what you're talking about is to have a local, you know, if you have that content that's local. It, it, it really gives you even much more. I think I think that could give you more of an entry point or be part of the holistic aspect of experiencing. I think you brought up some great examples. Of yeah. And I, I also like to point out um, that local is no longer restricted. Right. So we can you can build and this this is what I t- like this. I ha- like my my time at the chamber got me so passionate about this that, you know, are the the U.S. regions are being so acutely, more acutely defined by identity. And that's so wonderfully exciting, right? It's no longer coastal or non-coastal. It's like we have these regions that have unique lifestyle and culture that have unique outdoor and, you know, um, business ecosystems, you know, and they're all a little bit different. And so, by local, yes, that is a programming, you know, kind of editorial strategy, but it doesn't mean that it no longer means that you can't be curious about a local place that's somewhere else, right? right. So content, right. you know, content can be consumed across this region, and that's ultimately what we want to do. We want to, we want to, you know, build the build the most interconnected catalog of independent content. And quite honestly, unseat YouTube in this era of mm. of distribution, and we won't. I'll, I'll I'll just say this because we see ourselves as having two customers, and we won't do that necessarily by our customers who are users. We will do that by our customers who are content creators, mm. because if we enter the market and we have better monetization and we have a better funnel funnel of discoverability then those content creators on YouTube will move over to Loco Plus. That is, that is the goal. So we are creating market value because quite honestly, you have, you know, it's a, you know, the U.S. local advertising market is $161 billion market. 60% of that, 60% of that is still going to traditional media. Those guys are on borrowed days. So, we will create new value because we will revitalize local, but then we'll take some market share because we'll take some of that from YouTube because we will be the, we will be the, the destination that independent content creators want to be on. That's, that's where we're going. That's, that's where we're driving the puck. You know, Kate, you and I have had lots of conversations over the years about things you've been working on, things we've both been working on, new things. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard you be as passionate about something as we hear you being about Loco Plus. So really appreciate wow. you sharing that with us. What's the best yeah. way for people to stay up to date uh, after they hear this and like, I got to know the latest on on what's going on? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so so we're building, and uh, I think we do have golocoplus.com is actually probably the best destination, and then you can sign up. You can sign up as a user who wants you know breaking information about the platform. You can sign up as a content creator 
who is interested in getting on the platform, or you can sign up as a brand or an advertiser who would want more information about becoming a partner. Um, one of the things I'm really excited about is let's say you guys put this podcast or Disruptor Studio. That's the other thing, Alex. Yeah. But let's say you we're guys getting pitched, you know, Jeff. We're getting pitched. The, yeah, you're getting the pitched. Followers of ours is finally yeah. you know, reaching out. So, so the way our platform for work, just let me, if I could just take a minute to talk yeah, about yeah. the content creator angle of it. So we are going to, uh, the big power shift that's happening in content is the ownership of IP. My, my new co-founder, Megan Matusek, you guys don't know her because she's somebody who I brought in from LA, but she worked at Lucasfilms wow. under George Lucas for almost a decade. She's young. She's so incredibly brilliant, but she learned from the genius of IP ownership. Hmm. And we are, and, and she's, she's chief creative officer because she knows how to build that side of the business in which the content creator can continue to own their IP, right? So when a content, when a filmmaker or somebody sells a, a show or a film to a studio or now to Netflix, they, they lose complete control of that project creatively. That is absurd to me. So we allow a content creator to come in own the IP, we license that IP, that block of content. So you're getting paid up front, not much. We don't have Netflix type dollars, but you're getting a little bit of monetization up front for us to be able to, 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 to license that content. Um, and then you have back end incentives. So even if you have stuff on YouTube, you're going to be incentivized to drive it to Loco Plus. You own the IP the whole time. Let's say your, your show blows up, you suddenly want to put some hats on Etsy or some, you know, merchandise out there. Right, right. You own the IP. You drive that journey. If you were to go to Disney, Netflix, and strike a deal with them, they get to do all that. Right. One of the content creators we've become close with are the, the creators of Rugrats and Recess, mm. the most successful animated franchise that's existed. These creators. I think they made like a the merchandise made like Nickelodeon made like a billion dollars in the first year of merchandise yeah. for Rugrats. Do you know how many of these guys, how much these guys saw of it? I don't even want to know. <laughs> Zero. Mm. Wow. Zero. Because they didn't own their IP. That's the power shift that's going to happen. We're going to try to get ahead of that with our content creators. Um, and then we're also going to be the, the funnel of discoverability to the top of the, to the top of the market. That's the other goal we're going for. So, um, so we want the best of the best. Um, like I said, I mean, I could sit and talk to you guys for like three hours. I know we have a limited amount of time, but um, I, I, I do, I really do want to talk to both of you guys. Well, this. yeah, no, listen, then I think. And, yeah, I mean, but but yeah, I mean, Alex, we would geek out on this stuff so much. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was just and, about to say that we could. This is this is like yeah, uh, and 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 Jeff, I know how I know how your mind works around <laughs> you know community, and I, I don't. I'm trying to figure out the right. I don't want to say customers, but users. You know, I think um, how this is going to be curated, uh, how we do this with with intention, but also knowing that when we master this in Atlanta, this is where I'm really going to need y'all's help. When we master this in Atlanta, the, 
the the big dogs are really going to be like right. they're going to come alive after it because nobody's been able to solve this problem. Yeah. Nobody has been able to solve this problem. Um, so we'll it, it's it the the adventure is beginning. But um, Jeff, you're right. I am the most passionate because I think it's the most courageous, biggest thing that um, I've decided to take on, and uh, and that that will bring you know great feelings. Uh, that are good or bad, but uh, you know, sign me up. And probably the full spectrum <laughs> of them along the journey too. But but you're right, uh, yeah. Kate. I, I think this is something, and you know, we we're definitely looking forward to catching up. Because definitely could geek, geek out on this kind of future of content, which have been mm-hmm. how to shape it. So, um, and I'm sure we'll put have many conversations on the show here in terms of if this keeps going on. But um, and, and listen, I'm I, I, I love it when you're over here talking about you know, Lucas films and YouTube or taking them on. That's, that's how you get stuff moving and, 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 and reshaping because you got to start, you got to start with that too. But I do want to thank you um, for joining us, uh, Jeff and I here on the Jeff and Alex podcast and look forward to catching. I love it. I'm so glad you guys are doing this. Yeah. It was super you fun just, to have you. This was, I know you <laughs> are great. two of my favorite humans. Um, and you know, yeah. And I'm so glad you're doing it because I mean, it, it is, it's only the first inning of this content disruption. For I think sure. a lot of people think it's like the sixth or seventh. It is only the first inning. So I'm just glad you guys just dove in and started oh, to build something. That's what you got to do is dive yeah. in and start yep. talking because we're going to do it anyway. So we figured we might as well film, film it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. All right. Thanks, Kate. Yes. Thank you. All right, Jeff. So what energy... Does Kate Atwood always? I guess she always brings that energy, but yeah. but, but she's pretty she's pretty excited about this new project. That seemed like a different level of energy that I've seen from her, and yeah, she's always positive and passionate. But that was exciting. I, did, I, I didn't know that's exactly where she was headed. I, I'm I'm in. I didn't. Either. I mean, it makes total sense to me because I know something as you know. It's funny because uh, um, so many people know her through Kate's Club and what she's done with the community, which is incredible. And probably could have gone so much more into that as well too. Uh, but you know, I kind of got to know her during this element of her really understanding media and so forth. So it, it makes sense, but it's, it's definitely great to see that. And, and it's going to be, and, and look, this is the time to kind of disrupt media because it's really being shaped. So, so it's, pr- it's pretty exciting. So we'll say yep. we, and we, it looks like we kind of partially got pitched too. <laughs> we did. We did. So. Well, yeah, I was in, so uh, I'll, I'll help any way I can. <laughs> Well, good. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us on this episode of the Jeff and Alex podcast. Make sure you follow both Jeff Hillemar and I on social media. Continue the conversation there. And also make sure you subscribe on YouTube or uh, also subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or do both because, you know, I'm sure the experience is totally different when you listen to us and when you see us and you can tell us in person which one you prefer better. But um, so we'll see you again in about a week. Good seeing you again, Jeff. Yeah, good seeing you. We'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody.